reading this morning is from Psalms 1 and 2. If you have your Bible, it's between Genesis and Revelation. So hopefully that will help you find it. Okay, uh, Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The king of the earth sets themselves against the rulers, sorry, the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree the Lord has said to me. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, be wise, O kings. Be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. When his wrath is kindled but a little, blessed are those who put their trust in him. Amen. Morning. It's a pleasure for uh, Lindsay and I and the girls to be here this morning. Um, thank you for, for asking us. Um, obviously, thank you, Ross. Um, our, he's very much in our thoughts and prayers this week. Um, okay, I thought I'd maybe tell you a little bit about ourselves. Um, we're trying to figure out about us down there, and we couldn't quite do it in the time that we had. Um, so I'm Stuart, and this is Lindsay at the back there with our, our wee one. Our girls are Indy and Hiromi, and these two, and Hiromi's seven months, so we're tired all the time. Um, what do we do? Well, um, we make a living from teaching health and well-being uh, in schools. Um, so we teach on things like self-harm, eating disorders, depression, anxiety, self-esteem, body image, all that kind of thing. Um, we also talk about sex and STIs and pregnancy and regret and relationship difficulties, pornography. Uh, and we talk about legal highs and drugs and alcohol, bullying, kind of what you would get in a PSE class in school. Um, now, as Christians, we feel quite privileged to be in that position to be able to talk about sex and things. We can't mention Jesus or really preach in any way, but we do have a great opportunity to uh, what we would call instill kingdom values through that education um, and challenge young people to really think about the decisions they make and to weigh up whether the temptations that are in front of them are really, really worth it. 
so that's how we kind of bread and butter make a living. We live in Stenhouse Muir. Uh, we're just moved into moving into a new house at the moment as well. Uh, so we're busy at the moment. But what Lindsay and I are mostly passionate about and what we feel called to is um, to plant a community, a church community. Some people would call what we're doing pioneer ministry or a fresh expression. It's never language that we have used. Uh, but the church that we are planting uh, this in February uh, is called Scum of the Earth, uh, which might sound very bizarre to you. Um, but if you come along tonight, we'll be talking more about Scum of the Earth. Uh, there is a biblical basis for it. It's not just to try and be cool, although the name is meant to be appealing to people that Lindsay and I very much relate to in the alternative music, art, culture uh, of, of the world uh, and in Scotland. So um, that's what we have been busy with for the last few years developing and um, we're nervous and excited about what God might do through that ministry. Um, uh, we really believe with the people behind us uh, that, that God is going to do something rather interesting. Another side uh, issue is that with what we do with our health and well-being education, the Scottish School of Christian Mission uh, asked if I would um, network for them and let, them, let people know about what they do. Uh, the Scottish School of Christian Mission, if you didn't know, is was, or is, was International Christian College, which was Glasgow Bible College, which was New College, or whatever it was called, I don't know. Uh, so it's had many names, but it's basically a Bible College in Glasgow. Uh, and that was how I met Ross. Um, I'd emailed churches in North Lanarkshire, and Ross was interested in finding out more about the college and what it provided. So hopefully that will give you a bit more of an idea about, about Lindsay and I and, and how I got here this morning. Um, okay, so praying and trying to figure out what God would have me uh, share with you this morning, I always pray and ask, what does God want to tell you? And it's usually something He wants to tell me as well. Um, and so I found myself uh, looking at Psalms 1 and 2. Uh, the reading I read from was from the New King James Version. I kind of go between the, the two. Um, so, what I hope to do this morning is go through it verse by verse, and it'll only take about three or four hours, so um, hopefully you're all right with that. Uh, I didn't hear any, oh, yay, so <laughs> I'll keep it shorter than that. Don't be deceived. God cannot be mocked, and God does reward. That's my kind of loose title for this this morning. So, Psalm 1, 1, blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. What does blessed mean? Happy, good, in the right place before God, before your peers, or in your place in history. You're blessed. You are blessed uh, in God's eyes. And not just in God's eyes, but factually you are blessed. You are more likely to be happy, secure, safe, peaceful. So blessed is the one who does not walk in the step of sinners. What does it mean to walk in the step of sinners, uh, to step with the wicked, stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the company of mockers? Well, it, it speaks for itself. Uh, it's, it's don't join in with the sin that is uh, so prevalent around you. Um, don't sit uh, and get involved with it and condone it uh, and be a part of it. If you want to find out what sinfulness is, then there's plenty of stuff in the Bible uh, that will tell you what that is. There's lists in the New Testament. There's the Ten Commandments. 
Um, you're looking at a lot of things, including gossip, murder, slander, sexual immorality, and so on. I mean, the list goes on. Um, it's hard not to sin. <laughs> There's so, so many things we shouldn't do. Uh, it's quite hard not to. Um, but whose delight is in the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night? Okay, so if you're standing in step with the sinners, then you will not be blessed. But if you meditate on the, the law, okay, God's word, and delight in his law, then you will be blessed. Uh, and I wonder if anyone in here could honestly say to themselves that they are that man or that woman. Are you really the man or woman who um, delights in the law of the Lord? Do you meditate on his law day and night? Now, at that time um, of writing the psalm, the only kind of law of the Lord they would be referring to would probably be the first five books, the five books of Moses. Uh, so, the law and, and, I mean, some of the prophets weren't even around then. So, you're really looking at the Ten Commandments and all the laws and Genesis and Exodus and that kind of thing. Uh, and so, it was really, he's really saying, you know, if you meditate on this and focus on this, then you will be blessed. We have an abundance more of God's Word. We have the entire New Testament as well, and we have all the prophets. Uh, so there's a lot to read, a lot to meditate on. Uh, I'm, I'm sure your church, or you must always do that every day and night. I'm assuming that's what you were doing first thing this morning, you know, uh, praying and reading the Bible. And then when you're finished here, you'll go home and you'll have a quick lunch because you want to get back into reading and praying. And does that sound familiar? <laughs> Thank you for shaking your head. So, okay, um, that's a bit of a challenge. We'll come back to that. Now, it goes on to say that the person who does this is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither, and whatever they do prospers. What does he mean, whatever they do prospers? How can the psalmist say this? I mean, it's... Lindsay and I have had our fair share of, of joy and excitement in seeing God work in our life, but we've also had long, barren spells of feeling abandoned and feeling that God is not present and that God does not care and that God cares more about those Christians than these Christians, and that is Christians are us. Um, so how can he say that? Well, it's, for a start, it's not about temporal things here. You know, the psalmist isn't saying that, you know, if you're faithful and read your, your word and, uh, and meditate on God and, and, and His word, that you will become wealthy. That is not the thinking behind this. It's not that you will be wealthy. It's not that you will get promotions in your work. It's not that you will get a nicer house or a nicer car. It is not that you will have become the most popular person in the world. These things are temporal. What we're talking about here is spiritual matters. Uh, and if you're in a particularly cynical place this morning, <laughs> and maybe you've had this before when someone says something similar, you know, it's, you've just got to trust God. You're kind of like, oh, yeah, it's spiritual stuff, you know. I really want to have a house. I really want to have things sorted. Um, but, you know, that's something that, that takes time to come to accept. And it takes faith to realize that being truly blessed is to have peace, to have a firm, strong relationship with God. But again, we'll come back to that. Not so the wicked. So what's the deal with the wicked? Well, uh, they're like chaff that the wind blows away. In other words, what we're saying here is the ungodly. So those lists of sins and all the things that are, that are wrong, the wrongdoing, ignoring God, rejecting God, 
um, that there you become like chaff. So you may gain temporal things. You may have lots of friends. You may have lots of money. You may get promotions. But in the eyes of God and where it really matters, you are like chaff. All these things will wither and turn to rust and die, and you along with it. Nice, cheery message this morning, eh? Um, and, and it goes on to say, and this is the really damning bit, is that the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor the sinners and the righteous of the assembly. And this is basically God's final judgment. This is when we are all gone, and we are, this is the whole Peter at the gates type thing that people even secularly understand. It's like, are you in or are you out? The psalmist here is saying that if you're wicked, you're out. You don't get in. You will not stand in God's judgment. And actually, there's even an impact here on earth. That They may have all the, the, you know, secular blessings, worldly blessings, but even on earth, they are damned before God. They are in iniquity. They are in sin. And they will experience God's judgment and that they will not have peace. That they will never be able to satiate or satisfy this empty hole, I believe, Bono from the band U2, uh, and Discotech, I think the song was, uh, says, looking for to fill, or is it Mofo? I can't remember. It doesn't matter. But he has the lyric, uh, looking for to fill that God-shaped hole. Um, and I believe it's borrowed from a theologian. But there is a God-shaped hole that will never be filled. Uh, so this first psalm, the first psalm of all the psalms, is pretty black and white. It's saying if you're blessed and you're blessed, if you are with God and you meditate on God and you have a relationship with God, but if you're wicked and you're away from God and you ignore Him and you reject Him, then you are damned. It's pretty black and white. I mean, it's pretty fire and brimstone, you know? You're for God or you're against God. And then it goes on to say that the Lord watches over the way of the righteous. Uh, so who are the righteous? Well, at this time, the righteous would have been people that kept the commandments, people who kept the law, people who uh, did the right thing at all times and obeyed the, the law of the land and, and what God had revealed to them through Moses. Um, but most of all, what really made them righteous was, wasn't keeping the commands, it was sacrifice. If you know anything about the Old Testament in Israel, the sacrifice is what was atonement and uh, becoming cleansed and righteousness was all through sacrifice and pigeons and goats or sheep and cows and whatever you had to hand, you sacrificed it in order to try and make amends or make peace with God. And so these were the right, that's what made people righteous, um, people who did the right thing and sacrificed uh, and obeyed God's word. And when they sinned, they repented uh, and they sacrificed. So that's, that was the righteous then. Um, but, you know, as we understand it today in Airdrie Baptist Church and in the Baptist uh, theology, we know that righteousness does not come from works any longer. It no longer comes from sacrifices like that. It no longer comes from obeying laws and commands. It comes through Jesus Christ. But again, we'll come back to that. What does he mean by destruction? Well, I've covered that. But he, see, the interesting thing about Psalm 1, uh, and I can't really go into it in all this time this morning, it's for a theological class, is that Psalm 1 and 2 both seem to be messianic psalms. It's almost like when you read Psalm 1 and 2, it could have been written by one of the apostles. That they seem to be speaking in a similar language to the New, the New Testament. For example, in Jude, the book of Jude, 
Uh, it says that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about them. Since see, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of His holy ones to judge everyone and to convict all of them of all the ungodly acts they have committed on their ungodliness and of all the defiant words ungodly sinners have spoken against them. In Matthew, Jesus uh, says here, so it will be at the close of the close of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous, uh, the sheep from the goats. Uh, and then the angels will say, depart from me, you are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Uh, are you following me here? There's, there's no difference between the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament. The message of Psalm 1 is the exact same message of any of the messages you'll find in the New Testament. The God of the New Testament is just as wrathful, just as judging as the Old Testament God. And the Old, the Old Testament God is just as compassionate, just as gracious, and just as merciful as the New Testament God, because it is the same God. Don't ignore the Old Testament. Don't ignore the Psalms. Don't ignore the passages about hell and dam damnation and hellfire and all these sort of things, because right there next to it, you will find the grace and the mercy of God if you study and meditate on it day and night if you focus on it, if you learn from it. Don't pick and choose. You'll find amazing things in the Old Testament. Right there in Psalm 1 is a psalm that could have been written by any of the apostles. Okay, do you walk in the way of the wicked? That's surely the questions we're asking this morning, and you should be asking yourself. Do you walk in the way of the wicked? Well, you're in church, so obviously not. Pfft, that's not true. Do you walk in the way of the wicked? Do you stand in the way sinners take? Do you sit in the company of scoffers? I'm a scoffer, by the way. I scoff at everything. I mean, Lindsay and I don't even have a, a TV license anymore because we don't watch the TV because all we did was scoff at things all day. You know, like, look at them. I can't believe this. It was just bad for us. But what we're talking about here is like, do you scoff, not just at other people, do you scoff at the things of God? Do you scoff at other Christians? Do you scoff, are you scoffing at me? You know, like, it's, are you scoffing at the things that God is doing? Or are you someone this morning that delights in the law of the Lord? Why is this important? Well, if you walk in the way of the wicked, as we've said, then you know the results. Lack of peace, lack of joy, lack of faith, lack of love. You will not be experiencing God's presence with you in the present. And if you're not saved, you know, through Jesus Christ and righteous through Christ, which we'll explain in a little bit, then your destiny is pretty bleak. In fact, it is wailing and gnashing of teeth, you know, and it's a strange thing. People think, well, all Christians, they're like, they're trying to, people who have taken hold of Jesus today who are not Christian and said, oh, Jesus is a cool guy. He even had back in the 90s, you know, a buddy Christ. And it was a guy that's like, hey, and it was a picture of Jesus. And, you know, and people say, oh, I'm not into the Bible. I'm not a Christian, but I'm into Jesus. I'm like, you don't know Jesus. You're, you're picking and choosing Jesus. You're saying that Jesus is this cool guy. Yeah, I'm fine with everybody. If you're not righteous, if you're not saved through faith, if you don't really know Jesus, then... It's damnation, it's hell. And so, this idea that Jesus is the nice guy, we need to remember that Jesus is the one that said wailing and gnashing of teeth. Jesus speaks more about hell than I think anyone else in the Bible. Maybe you can confirm that. But Jesus is the one that talks about it more. 
than any of them, than even Paul. And Paul, like, he's controversial, but Jesus is hell and angels and demons and Satan and talks about all that stuff. So it's important to ask yourself that question. Are you walking in step with the wicked? Or are you righteous? Are you meditating? Are you in a relationship with Jesus Christ? But we will come back to that. Lots of stuff to come back to. Okay, why do the nations conspire and people's plot in vain? I don't know if you're anything like me, but I love a good conspiracy theory. Uh, I, am, I, I went through a phase of watching all the conspiracy stuff. A guy called Alex Jones, who's a bit of a right-wing kind of Republican guy in the States, and he's very entertaining, but he's all about conspiracy and corruption, 9-11, 7-7, all these different things, uh, the Bush elections, uh, Donald Trump, uh, even uh, conspiracies here in the past, the Rothschilds, all that stuff, you know, the, the banks and the, the oil companies and all these things and all the corruption that's going on in the world. That fascinates me, that stuff. But I had to kind of you know, take a step back because you can become very paranoid very quickly and not trust anyone or anything. But right here in Psalm 2, there is something about conspiracy, something about more than one person getting together with another person to conspire against God, to conspire against God's people. Now, again at the time, if you know much about the history of Israel, you'll see they were always surrounded by enemies, and that even within Israel there were factions, and there were infighting, and people conspiring, and going against the prophets, and different things, and uh, so maybe the, the, the psalmist was talking about that, but then again, I was saying that it's maybe a messianic psalm, you know, that it's about Jesus, that it's prophetical in some way, then it would be more likely that maybe they were talking about Jesus, you know, the crucifixion, you know, the Romans getting together with the Jews, uh, the Sanhedrin meeting in secret, that kind of thing. You know, conspiracy against God, and then after Jesus was crucified and rose again, the Christians were chased everywhere, hiding in catacombs, they were burned in oil. Uh, people conspired against God and His people. Even Paul, the apostle, said himself that he was, he, he was part of the conspiracy, that he sought to seek out Christians to imprison them, to have them killed. Um, so, then if you even look at it, has anyone ever heard, the book, heard of the book Jesus Freaks, Book of Martyrs? There were a band called DC Talk, they were huge, they were a Christian band, and there's a book called Jesus Freaks, and I think they've done others still, and, and it is an encouraging book. It's a book full of martyrs. It's a book full of people who have been persecuted and uh, holed up in walls, crucified, um, you know, taken from their families. Doesn't that sound encouraging? But it is a book full of Christians who have been persecuted, where people have conspired against God and His people. Psalm 2 is something that refers to all time. The nations do conspire. People do conspire against God and His people. I think even if you were to open your eyes and you see around you, you will see that Christianity is very unpopular. Christians are unpopular today. We are bigots. We are homophobes. We destroy parties. <laughs> you know, we're boring. We're this, we're that. We're accused of a lot of things. Just spend half an hour on Facebook. Post something about Jesus on Facebook and see what happens. There is, a, perhaps there is a, an actual conspiracy, or maybe people aren't realizing what's going on, that they're actually picking on Christ. They're picking on His message, on, on God. So Psalm 2, I believe, refers to our present time. In Ergy, this morning, 
and the experiences that you have today, this week, and in the rest of your life. But here's the, the thing about God in response to this. He laughs. He laughs. Laughs at these people. Laughs at the people who conspire against God. It's kind of like me, you know, going, uh, you know, going up to Lionel Messi and saying, I bet I can beat you, keep you uppies. You know, he's a best footballer in the world. Some people like Cristiano Ronaldo. I'm, I'm a Messi guy all the way. In fact, it's actually not even like that. It's like me saying that I will take on the Barcelona football team over 90 minutes and that I'll win. Conspiring against God is, is kind of like that. It's kind of like Indy saying to me that she could knock me out with a punch. You know, I'm like, oh, come on, you couldn't do that. She might surprise me one of these days. Um, it's like me taking on the All Blacks in a scrum. Like just me and the rest of the All Blacks. Try to hold them up. No wonder they would laugh. It's like me saying I could have a sing-off with Andrea Pacelli and come out on top. You know? That's why God laughs. Because he's like, this is, you're insane. I don't think there's no compassion in that laughter, though. I don't think there's a God here that's just like, ha, 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 you're all going to die. But it is just kind of, it is like, it makes me think about uh, when I said to my mum and dad when I was being suspended from school, uh, that I, I said I was going to join the army. Uh, I was just going to join the army. And my, my dad said, what for? I said, I want to get away from all this discipline, <laughs> you know? And my dad laughed, you know, he kind of laughed at me. He was like, you're, you're, you don't want to discipline a school, you don't like us telling you what you want to do, but you're going to go and join the army. It, was like, it wasn't a laughter of someone that hated me. It wasn't a laughter of someone that didn't have any love for me. It was a laugh of a dad who loved me. And it was just like, the, the stupidity of this, it's moronic. So they conspire against God and God laughs. He scoffs at them. But he does take it very seriously. It says that he rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with a rod of iron. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. Jesus is the reason that people that these people should be scared. Because Jesus is the King of kings, the Lord of lords. And so whether it's individuals in a daily life living a wicked life, or whether it's nations, groups of people, pressure groups coming against the church and against God, Jesus is who they have to answer to. That's why God laughed, because He knew His Son. He knew what his, his son could do and what his son would do. It's like, you really want to conspire against me when you've got Jesus to contend with? God is never going to be bullied. God is never afraid. God does, knows everything that is happening. And there is nothing that is happening in your life right now that God can't control, that God doesn't see. There is no person that you are at odds with who has one up on you because God sees everything. God knows everything. And Jesus was victorious over all, all sin, all wrongdoing, all evil that is past, that will come, and that is happening just now. And the message here is, therefore, you kings, 
Be wise, be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. Kiss his son or he will be angry and your way will lead to your destruction. For his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. The great thing about Psalm 1 and 2 is that one's looking at individuals and one's looking at nations and leaders. But the message is the same. Whether it's Ross and the deacons or the elders of this church or you, maybe you're not even a member, the message is the same for all of you. The message is the same for Nicola Sturgeon as it is for Theresa May. It's the same for Arlene Foster as it is for Carwin Jones. It's the same for Donald Trump as it is for Angela Merkel and all the other leaders of the world. Every single one of them is answerable to God. The Rothschilds, the bankers, the people that own the companies, all the people who have power and all the people behind the scenes, behind the curtain that we don't know that have all the power and pull the strings, they are all answerable to Jesus. Never, ever be afraid about what will happen in the future. Never be afraid about political decisions that go against the church. Do not be afraid. They are all answerable. We are all answerable to Jesus. So let's make sure that we are walking in His way, not in the way of the wicked. Because the message in Psalm 1 and 2, I believe, is the gospel message. It is that there is a God. He created this world. He created you. He set a standard of righteousness. This is how we should be. This is how we should live. He is just and that He rewards and punishes someone based on how they respond to that standard, both in this life and then with heaven and hell. It is also the message that He sent His Son, Jesus, to reveal Himself to us. Because no matter what we do, no matter how holy we think we are, no matter how many sermons we deliver, no matter how many nice things we do, none of them make us holy. Christ is what makes us holy. Christ is who saves. That's why He sent, because He knew we would fall and stumble. He sent His Son, uh, and His Son in agreement willingly took the punishment for the sin. So see this wickedness and the punishment and going to hell and being separated from God? We don't have to fear that any longer if we put our faith in Jesus Christ every single day. I don't believe you have to do it every single day to be saved. I believe that once you have given your life to Christ, and you invited the Holy Spirit in, and you are saved. You are redeemed. You are brought into relationship with God. How many of you who have children would get rid of them when they do the wrong thing or reject you? I don't think many people would. When you give your life to Christ, He saves you. He loves you. You are His child. You are His son. You are His daughter. And you can be made righteous through Christ. And the great thing as well is that He rose again. When Jesus was crucified, murdered, died, He rose again three days later, so that hell and damnation or just permanent death would be overcome so that we could live for eternity with Him in a far better place than the one we're in now. That's pretty amazing. That's the righteous point I was going to make earlier. In the Old Testament, you had to obey laws. You had to make sacrifices in order to be righteous, Christ came and brought a new law, fulfilled the law, and said, through faith in me, you are made righteous. 
people have an issue with that because I think people have this idea that people just get saved and then just do what they want and don't care. And sometimes people do, but I would always question their salvation in the first place. You know, oh, I'm saved, I'll just go and do what I want. I'm, really? You're saved? I doubt it. If you just con continue to do it in your own way and not care. But what I can tell you is that in my life I was saved and then I went off the rails big time. But God never, ever let me go. Even when I called him bad words, <coughs> offensive words, and rejected him and went to the other side, the dark side. God still seen me as his son and brought me back. It wasn't a case of me saying, oh, I'm saved, I'll do what I want. It was a case of me being saved and stumbling and falling and then thinking I wasn't good enough and continuing on. If you have given your life to Jesus Christ, he loves you. He loves everyone. But he loves you so much. You're his son, you're his daughter. He wants you to experience him every day. He wants you to meditate on his word day and night. That doesn't mean you have to go to SSCM or Glasgow or Edinburgh. It doesn't mean you have to know your Bible inside out. But if you meditate, even on a bit of scripture a day, just start your day with a prayer, start your day with a little bit, you will experience Christ more than if you don't bother at all. So really the message is don't walk in the way of wicked. That's pretty straightforward. You know, I don't think many of you are planning and going out and murdering people and doing a lot of heinous things. I doubt that very much. But there, you know the things that we can get involved in. Gossip is, say the word, it's a one of the biggest enemies of the church. You know, it's one that's often overlooked. We all know we shouldn't do it, but you know, it's wicked. Gossip, talking about people, that kind of thing. Um, so, you know, identify those things that you know are just, you shouldn't be doing. Uh, because if you get rid of that stuff and focus on getting rid of that stuff, any addictions you might have, any secret sins, you know, deal with them. Because when you get rid of them and when you meditate on Christ, then you're like that tree in the water that grows and flourishes. But I know from experience that when I don't deal with sin and that when I'm not walking with Jesus, I become like chaff, dry, arid, feeling useless, feeling alone, feeling empty. So the message, don't walk in the way of the wicked. Draw near to Christ. Be close to Christ. And the more time you spend with Jesus, the more righteous you will want to be. You know, imagine, I like to do, I like to imagine Jesus when I'm praying, sitting with me. I don't, I don't know what he looks like. Sometimes it's like, uh, you know, uh, Jim Caviezel from The Passion. Sometimes it's the guy for the BBC one, you know, that used to be in The Detectives. You know, and sometimes it's some Middle Eastern guy that I don't really know. But I have this image, and whatever the image is, he's, he's a beautiful man, a beautiful person, someone that just, uh, just gives out love and passion and care, but he's a stern man. He's someone that I respect. You know, get that image in your head of, of Jesus. Think about him. The more you think about Jesus, the more you imagine him, the more you pray and realize that he's right there with you, the more you will want to be like him, the more righteous you will want to be. It won't seem so alien. It won't be like, oh, Lord, I'm speaking to the first cause, the intelligent designer, some strange being. You're talking to a person, a person that died for you. And the more time you spend with Jesus, the more comforted you will want to be and you will be. The more time you spend with Jesus, the more things in life will either make more sense or per perhaps be just bearable. You might be in a stage just now where you're thinking, yeah, whatever. What does that young man know? Like, I'm grieving, or I'm this, or I'm that, or I've just been diagnosed with this, or my child's a, an addict, or whatever it is. 
I'm not speaking to your point of view of, well, if you just pray and have faith, then you'll be happy. That's not what I'm saying. But it's at times like that, if you feel you can't relate to what I'm saying just now, that you'll be more comforted, that's when you have to rely on each other. That's when God becomes you. That's when you are God to each other, when you are Jesus to each other. So please don't think I would cast judgment on anyone who's sitting thinking, oh, whatever, I draw close to Jesus and it'll be all right. I know know from experience that it doesn't feel like that. But rely on each other until you do get that breakthrough with Christ. God is in control, always in control. No one gets away with anything. I want to finish by reading from Galatians 6, 7 to 10. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from their flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. And can I just say that it's amazing and really cool that when the children left, your congregation shrunk quite significantly. You're in a great position to have a church that diminishes as the the children in Sunday school go out. That's incredible. Um, So I encourage you to continue your growth, not just in numbers, but in health. Continue to take care of each other and to know that God has got his eye on you guys, that he loves Airdrie Baptist Church, and he's got a call for each and every one of you. Tonight, I'm going to be looking at what does God want you to do? Uh, I have the answer, by the way, uh, but it's in, the, it's in the Bible. We're going to be looking at what does God want you to do? What is God asking you to do, whether you're eight or 80? What does God want you to do? We heard a lot about, about it this morning. Uh, we'll explore a little bit more tonight. So I look forward to seeing some of you this evening. Uh, that was Hiromi the alarm. Finished, you've been going on too long. <laughs> Thank you.